Henry Cisneros served as mayor in San Antonio, Texas from 1981 to 1989. He was only the second Latino mayor elected to a major American city since 1842 with Juan Seguin. A Democrat, Cisneros served as the 10th Secretary of Housing and Urban Development in the Clinton administration from 1993 to 1997. He was cited for initiating the revitalization of many of the public housing units in the United States and formulating policies that contributed to the United States achieving its highest ever home ownership rates. He also visited many of the nation's largest city, where he was very popular. Welcome, Henry. Met about 20, 25 years ago after the King riots. Uh, both of us working together on the same thing, making better places and better spaces so that all people could enjoy our great democracy. Welcome, Henry. Ed, so, thank you very much for in inviting me and thank you for your prodigious legacy of good work in uh, cities, not just in the United States, but in Australia and around the world. You're, you're uh, one of those persons who's made a difference everywhere he's been. Thank you very much, Henry. Kind words from you. And I hope we can work together again soon. I, I look forward to it. So uh, I understand you're now in the infrastructure space. What does that mean? Well, I uh, am chairman of a company, uh, founder and chairman of a company that raises institutional capital, uh, pension systems, retirement systems, insurance companies, high net worth individuals, sovereign funds from nations, and deploys it to revitalize the uh, obsolete and deteriorating infrastructure of the United States. We do not operate nation internationally. We operate within the United States and our focus is on the transportation system, which means roads, rail, airports, seaports, also what we call smart city initiatives, uh, which is the transformation of the uh, electric grid, uh, things related to lighting, uh, climate change in cities, uh, and a whole range of things where technology is being applied to make cities better places to live. Everything from crime control to uh, addressing water conservation, all kinds of measures where technology is employed today. And then the third target is what we call knowledge and information systems, which means working with universities, schools, uh, data centers, uh, communication strategies, et cetera. So those three focal points, transportation, smart city, and knowledge and information is where we are focused. So for four years in the last administration, unnamed, uh, the Department of H Housing and Urban Development was invisible. And I imagine you saw that in the cities and the city infrastructure. What happened during those four years and can we re recover from it? Well, first of all, I was very disappointed because I really thought that uh, President Trump, having been a builder of housing most of his career, his life, his father before him, that he would understand 
that field. And that would be one of the winners, no matter what else he chose to do, that he would want to build things. But it just didn't happen. I think what we could say in retrospect is that he was distracted. His style distracted him and the country because he would have a press conference to talk about something like infrastructure and it would end up being a press conference going after some perceived enemy or making some outlandish claim and he was distracted and the news media was distracted and the country was distracted and we spent four years in a manic a manic distraction uh, where people would rush home to see the evening news just to see what was the latest craziness, what was the latest weird thing that, that we were pursuing. It was a show. It was a very much a show. And I actually thought that uh, he might be reelected because people had gotten addicted to that form of entertainment. But luckily, they came to their senses and we had a change of administration. Uh, I think we lost a lot of ground. Um, and it's sad because some of it cannot be made up when children lose critical years of education or when the economy uh, is particularly harsh on, on one group of people and they lose uh, income or, or worse, you know, investments, uh, it's hard to make up. Uh, but the one fortunate thing is it didn't go on for a second four years because I, I believe if it had, the United States would have hit kind of an inflection point where the trajectory begins to be downward. Uh, there's nothing about history that says great nations need to remain great. Leadership nations need to remain in leadership. And the way we were losing leadership in the world, respect in the world, followership in the world, uh, disengaging from entire regions like the Pacific uh, Trade Agreement, um, the United States was losing badly. And the worst of it is that by the end of his four years, Trump had found buttons to push that were really dangerous, headed in the direction, anti-democratic directions, authoritarian, uh, beyond the rule of law, uh, really damaging key institutions like the democratic processes, voting, uh, court cases, et cetera, and, and perhaps most fundamentally, changing the essence of our system of public dialogue, which is adherence to the truth. Yes. And to the rational and to but, science. But also changing our destiny. Our destiny. And changing our direction. All and I, I would men say this. Are created equal. I would say that another four years of that in the United States may not have been able to recover. The, uh, the loss would have been so great that other nations in the world would have been able to, 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 to pick up where our trajectory had left off and we'd be spinning in, in division and, 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 and counterproductive uh, uh, attacks and so forth. So uh, luckily, the good news is it ended after four years. Luckily, we have a rational person in office in President Biden. You and, and I he, both know uh, him. Uh, yes, I have a great respect for him. And, and you know, it's an interesting thing I've, I've observed. When he, early on in his youth, wanted to be president, 
he probably thought he should be president because he was the smartest guy in the room or the most charming guy in the room or the best politician in the room or the most charismatic guy in the room. Well, it turns out when he did get to be president, it wasn't for any of those reasons. That's right. It was basically because people said he's essentially a decent human being with the ability to make good judgments from his experience. And that's what we got. And that's what we need. So uh, it, it's, it's just one of those instances where the Lord looked down on us and blessed us with uh, kind of the right person at the right time. And uh, that quality of decency really comes through. And, and he's been almost flawless in his decisions here for the first 58 days. This is the 58th day of his presidency. And he's been almost flawless in the way that uh, he has made decisions on every front. And of course, the, the principal priority at the moment is everything we can do to defeat the pandemic. The United States did not acquit itself well uh, on the pandemic. And uh, uh, so his focus was on getting the vaccine out. And yes. we are now very close to the 100 million mark of vaccines since he took office. They've been totally focused on every system, every institution uh, getting in position to uh, do the vaccine. And that's good. Uh, and then other measures that I think are reasonable and fair. And then beyond that, uh, a whole series of other things related to assisting state and local governments, helping families climb out from the economic hole that the pandemic dug. And um, so, so I think the, 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 the public sentiment just in these 58 days is there's a grown-up in charge and we're working together uh, as we haven't in a long time. Yes, and, that, and that's important. I saw some signs um, when I was last in the States just before the pandemic saying, searching for a grown-up. <laughs> well, we, we, we badly needed a grown-up for the last four so years. So now we have a grown-up. And another grown-up taking your old job, Miss Fudge. Mm -hmm. You know her? I have talked to her. She was the mayor of a city in Ohio, Warrensville, Ohio, outside of Cleveland. And she um, was in Congress after that, representing a district nearby in suburban Cleveland. And um, she's highly respected in the Congress. She was actually a candidate for several cabinet positions mm -hmm. and ended up with the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and I think she's going to be good. What's the her mandate? Has, uh, the department has some serious challenges that are, you know, apart from the usual housing issues, uh, but the uh, aftermath of the pandemic, the fact that so many people were without jobs, had no income, could not have paid rent, resulted in a moratorium on evictions. As that comes off, and it must, because... Uh, landlords cannot continue to house people and, 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 and get no rent. So there will, there will have to be assistance for rent and or alternative housing for people who otherwise will go to homelessness. And we already have a homeless problem that is bad enough without putting women and children on the street, which is what would happen uh, if we didn't have an active role there. So that'll be a very important job for her. Uh, there will be others um, beyond homelessness. The, we already had an affordability crisis of people being able to afford housing. Virtually unaffordable 
in, in, in so many cities across the country and in, in Boston and New York and San Francisco and Honolulu and many other places. Uh, so, so that will be an important agenda. Uh, fair housing, because we saw uh, during this period the deep inequality in our country and the difficulty that people who have been marginalized, people of color, uh, have in, in getting into uh, the neighborhoods near where they can work, where the, where the schools are the best. And so fair housing, which is often thought of as an afterthought uh, in housing policy, has moved to the front of the line as, 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 as necessary. We can't have a functioning housing system if we um, uh, have limited access to housing. Right. Yeah. And, and housing is not just housing. It's neighborhood. It's neighborhoods, it's schools, schools, it's the workplace. The truth of the matter is housing, and I think I came to this realization when I was secretary, even more than when I was mayor, housing is the platform from which all of the other social progress we want for people, a good education, a good paying jobs, good health conditions, stable family environments, all of those things depend upon a basic question. Where are your children going to put their head on a pillow tonight? That's right. Is it going to be a safe and decent place? Or are they going to be relegated to a homeless shelter or some overcrowded uh, and, and inadequate place? Is that where they can do their homework? Is that where they can, uh, uh, you know, uh, be well and sleep well and rest well? Is that the, the place we want our elderly and, and uh, our families? Uh, housing is absolutely central to every concept of social justice. Let me give you another aspect of housing. A number of um, people in the city business are saying cities are going to be reformed. Jobs are going to move to the neighborhoods. Almost half of the people who are working online will continue to work online. Mm -hmm. It's better for the neighborhood. It's better for the family. It's better for the economic infrastructure firm. That means neighborhoods have to be better places to work. How do we do that? Well, I think it's a good point. I, I do believe that the, um, uh, the pandemic changed a lot and taught us that, a lot, that people can work from home. People can work online. There are certain aspects of cities that are absolutely uh, changed like the hospitality industry, the number of hotels that are empty, the convention centers that are empty, because who wants to go to a 20,000 person convention nowadays uh, and fly on airplanes to get there and, and expose themselves to the pandemic? And I don't know how long this is going to go. So there are some fundamental earth-shaking changes occurring in America's and the country and the world's cities. On the other hand, there's some evidence that, 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 that a lot of positive things are happening in cities. People are living in, in neighborhoods and depending on each other more. And, uh, and, and, and you, there's still a, a movement of young people to these settings where ideas can be exchanged. Yeah. It, it, it may be different than the, than the 25 story skyscraper downtown and everybody jammed up into 25 floors but more like you say, 
some neighborhood facilities, some neighborhood offices, uh, some some gathering places, homes. Um, but I think that uh, the institution that we call cities in modern civilization are, uh, are going to continue to be important and strong. Uh, as you know, for the first time in the history of humanity, of mankind, more people now live in cities than live in rural areas. That's, that's right. That's the first time. And that's, that's not going to turn back. And that's not going to turn back. And um, uh, our population centers, our economic centers. I mean, there's many, many cities in the world where uh, the, 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 their economies are essentially metropolitan economies. That's, that's where right. the ideas ferment. That's where the the con conversations occur that create that 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 spur creativity. Uh, those are not just words. Those are real processes. Those that's the way human beings inter inter interact today in our modern economy of of new media and and biosciences and telecommunications and business services, etc. Those are those are those require human contact. How do and, we? Uh, so so the agglomerative forces. Yeah. This, the pulling together forces are real. How do we make, you know, a lot of our neighborhoods, the little strips have fallen apart. As downtown Boston proved, I know with my own daughter's neighborhood, her strips started falling apart. Mm -hmm. Is there some room now for those strips to house some workspaces? Yeah. And for your infrastructure investments to be about investing in place mm -hmm. over movement. Yes, I think place. that's true. I think I think I think uh, that's a very good thought. I mean, that's a good way to to say it. But I think we're going to see, for example, regional shopping centers transformed into a mixture of senior housing mm -hmm. with recreational space with. Um, uh, 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 interesting food that's not chain uh, stores, but uh, small indigenous uh, creators of food. Uh -huh. uh, and, and because there is no need for the regional shopping center when Amazon is delivering every product imaginable to your house. Right? But something like a thousand shopping centers closed in the U.S. last year. There's no question. Uh, yeah, there's many a many a regional shopping center that is really on its last legs, and that that's a fundamental change that we're witnessing. Um, but there's other industries as well that that you know uh, that 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 we we're seeing just the the role of the role of hospitality of hotels and convention centers in cities has been very very important to a lot of American cities. Certainly, uh, San Antonio. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. Well, San Antonio, New Orleans, Charleston, Miami, yeah. Las Vegas, San Francisco, New York—you name it. Yeah, they were they were competing for who could build the largest convention center. And we were in that competition here in Sydney. We yeah. rebuilt our convention center when you were last here because yeah. we couldn't compete. Yeah. So so. Um, and we'll see how that sorts out. But, but I think urban designers, urban planners, urban advocates need to be very attentive to, uh, to these trends, see how they sort out. What are some of your guesses? 
Well, uh, as I said, I think cities are going to continue to be important in the world economy. Uh, you know, over the over the years, I've, I've, I've sort of gleaned insights from people like you, who acknowledge that you know world trade is not really between countries. We account for it as countries. Korea's trading with the United States, India's trading with Australia, but it's not countries. No. It's metros. Metros. It's metros. It's Delhi and Melbourne. It's Seoul and Los Angeles. And you see it in the contrails of the airplanes connecting them. You see it in the, the ships arriving in ports. You see it in the, uh, the, 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 the visitors. You see it in the communications. You see it in the soft power new media mm -hmm. uh, entertainment venues. Um, and so I, I think the way the world economy has gravitated, the subject to which it's gravitated, uh, urban places are going to be very important. They'll, they'll still be the most important dynamics of, of the world economy. Now, within that, um, it'll be new industries, completely new industries. Um, it'll be medical centers that are important. It'll be higher education that's important. It'll be creative space that's important. Uh, I, you know, we'll, 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 we'll learn from this pandemic, and by the way, it won't be the last because um, we've uncovered uh, primitive parts of our topography that are generating viruses that, 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 that are now finding their way yeah. to humankind. And so it won't be the last. No, it won't. But uh, hopefully we have learned something from this about immediate governmental responses in social distancing, in vaccines, et cetera. And, and we'll beat the next one uh, just like this. But uh, unfortunately on this one, uh, the, the, the politics uh, became so divisive that things like wearing masks became a political issue in the United States. And so you were defining yourself if you were wearing a mask as somehow, you know, uh, against the against Trump or something. Uh, and and I think a lot we paid we paid for that. Uh, so so we're going to get beyond that. It's some things you said I've said in some of my books that the new city is going to be a different kind of city. My latest book says technology will create techno hubs in these mm -hmm. metro areas that mm -hmm. relate to one another. People live locally first, not globally first. How would a new infrastructure bill that Biden's championing, yeah. Republicans first championed it, or was it Clinton? I forget which. Well, there are many presidents have championed president, infrastructure. But we've never gotten one through. Correct. No, now I think we have I a just, new target, I would think. Yeah. Ed, I just finished a study with the Rice University the Kinder Institute in which we, for the first time, polled, actually asked the 100 largest cities and the 100 largest metros and asked the leaders there, what are your highest infrastructure priorities? Immediate. Secondly, how did they change during the pandemic? Yeah. And thirdly, if you're looking at the long-term future and what you really need to grow and develop, what 
what do you need? And the answers were very interesting. Transportation still continues to be important because we don't have well-functioning mass transit in many of our nation's cities. So that was one interesting thing. Another was the pandemic did bring to the fore things like the need for well, good coverage in broadband yeah, uh, so that we could do online education and not uh, disadvantaged neighborhoods that didn't have it so that we could do things like telemedicine and not fill up the hospitals because we could have diagnosed and treated people with somewhat remote uh, uh, technology. So that was an interesting point. Water strategies continue to be important because we have parts of the United States uh, that will be reeling from climate change and for them it will mean heat and drought. And so we need water supplies in those places. And fire. And fires, yeah, absolutely. And then in other parts of the country, the problem is too much water because uh, rising sea levels will inundate certain cities and others will be blasted by uh, more violent storms, hurricanes and inland storms. So uh, infrastructure will have to deal with all of those questions, but we also need uh, an infrastructure that is increased. I mean, traditionally infrastructure has been thought of as transportation, energy, communications. Mm-hmm. Um, hard stuff. Uh, the hard bridges, ports, uh, airports, yeah. et cetera. But increasingly there is a category of infrastructure called social infrastructure that speaks to housing, speaks to medical facilities, speaks to public spaces, everything from parks to public buildings and recreational facilities and others. So I think that the post-pandemic infrastructure will have a different tenor to it, a different tone to it than what we might have seen before. All right. Now, those big hotels that many cities are still rebuilding are not filling up. Here in Sydney, the visitors are from Asia or were. We don't anticipate more than half of those coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not the low cost trip. What do we do with these big hotels? Well, already we're seeing some of them converted to, for example, housing. Mm-hmm. There's, 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 there, already we're seeing uh, apartment builders uh, take over hotel properties and convert them into housing. This is not a, this is not the answer to your question, but it's interesting to me that in San Antonio the homeless advocates were able to persuade the city to rent empty hotels and put homeless people in them during the pandemic so they wouldn't be on the street exposed to the pandemic. And the result in those hotels was zero incidence of the coronavirus. Wow. None, none, zero. Because they had distancing, because they had their own space to wash and clean, and in some cases, you know, cook in, in a suite, uh, uh, or at least warm things, warm food, have food delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are, there are answers of that nature. We need in this country, a lot of housing for the senior population. We have an aging tsunami, something like uh, the, the, the population over 65 will over the next 20 years double, and the population over 85 
will triple. Why? Because the baby boomers who were born between 1946 and 1964 have now reached 65 years of age. And in 20 years, they will be the 85-year-olds. And they're in good health. Well, lots of them are in good health and they're going to live into their 90s. So we, we, we have a problem in America for people who are presently living in the McMansion in the suburbs. Now that their children have left, they have no use for that size of property. It's actually a disadvantage to try to maintain it when you're in your 70s and 80s. So we need a different kind of housing. Some of this, some of the facilities we're talking about can be transformed. Yeah, so that's a great idea. So there's, there's, there's ideas out there. Yeah, I, I see that in my own neighborhood. Yeah. I live in one of those neighborhoods that has two people and a seven-bedroom house. Exactly. And, 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 and they don't even want to be there. They don't want to go upstairs. Right, exactly. People exactly. are playing tennis with it, converting their dining rooms into bedrooms. Yeah. yeah. Because going upstairs is just too much. Now, they're sure. playing tennis. So they can move, but walking up right. that two flights of stairs is hard. It's just too much. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else do you see that's coming? Well, Ed, I think the the the, the big challenges uh, revolve around <clears throat> making room and making way for the younger generation. Mm. The boomers have been on the stage for a long time, and we have the a Congress shows that. We had the uh, the you know the uh, Gen Xers after us, and then and then the millennials coming along. And uh, I think as a society, we we have underestimated the changes that we'll have to make in workplace and other things to make way for the next generation. And the incident, which I'm sure was a, a, a followed in Australia with uh, Meghan Markle and the Crown uh, last week uh, is an example of uh, a traditional institution not comprehending, not even understanding the kind of change that the younger generation wants and frankly will demand. Uh, so I think one of the big societal challenges is that. And then it is also, of course, the movement of people of color into the mainstream of major societies. And we've seen in the United States just how uncomfortable that transition is. Uh, Latinos, I happen to be of Hispanic heritage, Mexican heritage in the United States. And we're the fastest growing population in America by far. By far. Uh, about half of the growth of population in the United States will be Hispanic. That's just the Hispanic population. Then there are Asians, and then there are African Americans, and then there are other populations that will make a country that has, uh, whose whose institutions have been predominantly white, uh, have to uh, uh, understand the reality of inclusion of change, and that's not easy, as we're seeing, as we're seeing. So we're, we're managing a lot of change at the same time. I hope we can do it for the good of mankind. I, I, I think we can. You know, we, 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 we've moved forward as, as, as a human race in fits and starts. We take two steps forward, then one backward, and then one step forward, and then a step and a half backward in times of horrible 
setbacks like World War II and the, and the Holocaust. Uh, but the, 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 the arc of history is in the direction of, of progress and fairness and inclusion and change as Dr. King taught us. And uh, I am uh, hopeful that we'll learn lessons and, 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 and move forward. All right, last issue. Will the United States be number one in the issues you just mentioned? We were number one not because we've beaten the challenges, but we were working on it. Yeah. The rest of the world look at, on social justice, we were working on it. On democracy, I, th I think, I think we were I think, working I think on the, the United Can States. Can we be number one again? The United States will be number one on those questions. Will be, be will we be number one economically? Will be will we be number one militarily? Will we be number one in the standing in the world? I don't know. The Chinese are very strong and have a lot of things working for them, but they still have some of these questions, these human questions, to wrestle with, like democracy, and like transparency, and like inclusion, and like kind of respect at the at, at the at the level of human dignity. Um, and so they've got tough challenges ahead on, the, on that score. As a result, I think, yes, we will still be number one on those questions. And we will still be in position to nurture those values around the world, thanks to relationships with like-minded countries like Australia, like Canada, like the Japanese, like the Europeans. Though the ideas that we have worked with and worked on and need to continue to work on our truth about human nature. And therefore, I think we will, we will, we, we will, I, I, I believe our best days are still ahead because in previous eras, when we thought we were operating at full tilt, we still had a percentage of our population that was left in the dark, that was uh, marginalized, it was whose potential was not tapped, and I think when we do when we do break that code, then we're dealing with a mathematics of two plus two equals five. And on that note, you and I will still be working on it. <laughs> Thank you, Henry. We'll still be working on it, and you'll still be ahead of the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> At least I hope I'm in the game. Take care, okay, pal. Great Bye. to talk to you. Bye. To find out more about Pacific Conversations, visit the website edtalks.com.au and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. For weekly US news and current affairs, check out Ed and I's other podcast, US of Ed. US of Ed, wherever you find good podcasts, as well as on Facebook and Twitter.